Welcome to the Calvary Chapel South Bay Sermon Podcast. We are a large, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Los Angeles, California, and we'd love to have you visit us for a service if you're in the L.A. area. Visit ccsouthbay.org to learn more about us and to find out service times. If you have any questions, shoot us an email at hello at ccsouthbay.org. Enjoy today's sermon, and we hope to see you at church soon. You know, it's interesting to me as I've been kind of having time to spend a little more time just talking to people and seeing where they're at in their relationship with the Lord or not. One of the things that's become very, very clear to me is that Christmas, the holidays in general, are very much under attack. And even believers are kind of, you know, I don't know if I even want to celebrate Thanksgiving or celebrate Christmas. They give you all kinds of reasons. People are stressed out. They're, They're just seemingly on the edge, all the world situations that are going on, the Hamas and Israel war and the war in Ukraine and Russia and all these things that are happening. People are just at that ragged edge of life. And so I want to spend a little bit of time today just simply talking to you about how do we handle the holidays. What, what is it that we as believers should be doing right now? We just got done celebrating Thanksgiving and even that for some Christians even, they wonder, you know, well, should I do that? Isn't it a celebration of, you know, colonial expansion? Or, or should we, you know, just reject that and move on and past it? And I want to share some things with you because I think it's important that we have the right attitude about what we call holidays and that we actually understand what they are. Holiday is a, is a transliteration moving from English to English of an old English word, holiday, which means holy days. So when someone says happy holidays to you, they're actually saying happy holy days. So they're kind of admitting that there's something holy about Thanksgiving. There's something holy about Christmas. There's something holy about Easter. When they use that term, they're actually saying something. This Thursday, most of us had some form of Thanksgiving celebration, which is uniquely an American tradition. It's something that we celebrate in this country. It isn't celebrated around the world like Christmas and Easter both are. But it's well documented that that holiday is a holy day. It originally started that way. And for all the holiday madness that's going on and people questioning whether we should actually celebrate the pilgrims coming here or not, there are some wonderful things that we as believers ought to inject into this conversation when people are saying these things, and that is actually that's not the point. The point for us every day is that we are to be expressing our faith in this world that we live in. And in order for us to do that, we have to have God's understanding uh, of the, the world that we live in. And if you would, if you'd turn to Psalm 107, we'll be there just briefly and then we'll move on to some other passages. But Psalm 107 actually encourages us not just to be Thanksgiving celebrators, but to actually have Thanksgiving as a way of life. And so as you look at this verse, notice verse 1, it says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, and then gives you the reason. What is it? He is good. Amen? As people who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, as people who are Christians, as people who love God, we are actually told that we give thanks to the Lord for a very specific reason. He's good. All the time he's good. He's not, you know, just good on holidays. He's not just good on Sunday when we come to church or Thursday nights. He's not just good when we say he's good. He's always good. It's actually part of his character and his nature. God is good and thereby we are supposed to give thanks to him Because in his providential goodness, in other words, his nature being good, everything that God does is good, even if you don't like it. Even if to you, it's a little bit of a thorny situation. Even if to you, it actually inflicts a little bit of maybe what we would call harm or discomfort. God is still good. And because he's still good, we should have hearts of thanksgiving. 
It's mind-boggling to me that we just celebrated Thanksgiving and even National Geographic, which is not exactly known to be a Christian magazine, will tell you that it has its moorings, its foundings, as imperfect as the pilgrims were. Just, just a show of hands. Is anybody in here perfect? Good. Okay, the, the pilgrims weren't either. But the holiday was because of what they experienced in coming to this country, which wasn't a country then. It was a continent. And yes, it was inhabited where they landed by the Wampanoag people, a First Nations people. And yes, to some degree, there was some back and forth between those Native Americans and the pilgrim settlers. They still thanked God. That was their whole purpose. And you can see it in the world's first democratic governing document called the Mayflower Compact. And so before we get there, would you join me and let's pray and ask the Lord to speak to us as we figure out how to handle these holidays. Father, thank you. Lord, speak to us through your word. Lord, encourage us to be real believers in in this world that desperately needs to see us unified and walking in peace and joy so that we can have an effect on this world. Father, speak now through your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In spite of the things that are being said in our culture right now about what Thanksgiving actually is, this particular photo of this particular painting, this painting is actually in the rotunda of the, of the Congress. And it's very clear from the writings of the Pilgrim founders themselves what they intended Thanksgiving to be. So you can talk about what it's been interpreted to be. You can talk about all those things which we now know to be true about some of the characters that are in the Thanksgiving story, but they were given those five kernels of corn on their plate so that they would give thanks to God lest they forget his many benefits. Now, I don't know about you, but I've never actually gone to a Thanksgiving dinner and go, give me five kernels of corn, please. It's usually I have to look at my plate and go, Lord, please forgive me for what I'm about to consume. But the first Thanksgiving was so focused on the goodness of God after they'd written this governing document uh, that begins in the name of God, having undertaken for the glory of God and the advancement of the Christian kingdom, being thus arrived on this soil, that we bless the God of heaven. You see, they had the right attitude. Do you know that half the pilgrims died the first winter? Half of them. And yet we sit around and we kind of debate, well, what did they really intend? What was it that they brought here? What was it that happened? That's a problem with the way we understand thankfulness to God. Because what the holiday is supposed to be about is exactly that. Now we've kind of turned it into a celebration of football, right? Food and football, that's what it's now become. Look, I, I, I love football. But I do have a question for you. Does anyone know why it is the Dallas Cowboys always get to play on Thanksgiving? This is a question that's bothered me for a long time. No, isn't that kind of weird how our culture is? It's like nobody's asking all the right questions. They want to know why Dallas Cowboys play on Thanksgiving all the time. There's more to it than that. And yet you really don't hear about the church stepping up and stepping out and speaking the truth. It's just kind of like, well, you know, there was some mistreatment and Squanto was captured by slave traders, which is true, by the way. He was taken to Spain. That's true. And he was also introduced to Jesus in Spain and came back as a believer. There's all kinds of things in our history. Let's face it, it's messed up. But that doesn't change the heart that we are to have that is thankful. In spite of all that, and it doesn't mean that those things shouldn't still be worked on where they need work, but the church should be a place where 
people on this earth get a chance to see us responding the way Christians should respond, which is in thankfulness to God that maybe we have five kernels of corn on our plate instead of, well, you know, I just don't, I don't really know that I can support Thanksgiving anymore. If you can't support Thanksgiving, then you don't understand who you are in Christ because as a Christian, you're supposed to always be thankful. You know how I know that? The Bible says so. Turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And the reason that I'm, I'm talking about this right now is that when President Abraham Lincoln established a national holiday Thanksgiving, he did it in one of the worst possible times of our nation's history that you can imagine. For those of you the students of history, you know the time. The Battle of Gettysburg happened during the Civil War in July the 2nd, 3rd, and 4th of 1863. During that battle, roughly 50,000 mostly men almost entirely men, were either killed or wounded. President Lincoln went back in November of 1863 to look over the battlefield, which still had people who were yet buried laying on the field of battle. And it was there that he knew that unless we changed the course of our country and became thankful that this would eat us up, that it would destroy us from the inside. And so he gives the first Thanksgiving proclamation looking at the battlefield of Gettysburg. When he does that, he sets forth the precedence that other, pa- other presidents would follow and ultimately FDR being the guy that he was, decided we needed one more week for shopping before we got to Christmas, and so he moved it. That's kind of what everybody remembers, right? We just had that wonderful day that I I can't even say its name anymore, but it has Friday in it. So now we have these extra shopping days. And so there are Christians that are rightly concerned You know, has Christmas been commercialized? Is Thanksgiving, you know, just a day where we remember football and food? And the truth of the matter is, that shouldn't be what we're about. It shouldn't be, it's, you know, now we've got extra shopping days. Or tomorrow gets to be Cyber Monday. Whatever that means. That's called, your bank account will go down again Monday. (laughs) Amazon will get wealthier again on Monday. Look, and I'm not against Amazon. And I'll mention a few stores, so please don't think that I'm anti-Costco. But I can tell you right now, the gates of Hades is in the Costco parking lot. It's the Abuzo. It opens up right there. That's, I, I, you know, I'm driving around, and it's like people have lost their minds trying to get to the... 40-pound tubs of almond roca that are now $3 or whatever they are. We've gotten to this place where we've bought into the world's understanding of thankfulness, and that's not what it's about. And I think we need to reset our, our minds towards the reality of what God would want us to be thinking about during this time. And it's even transferred over and, and attached itself to Christmas. I, I have Christians constantly, they'll send me emails, and they'll go, well, you know, I, I heard you gonna, you're going to have a Christmas tree. And they immediately you know, go off on this tangent, you know, Christmas trees are a pagan idol and all of these things. And while there's very little in this country that we celebrate as a tradition or a holiday that probably doesn't have some thing in it that one could trace back if one wanted to, to some, you know, some pagan somewhere started something. That's more than likely true, but that's not why we celebrate Christmas. It isn't why we do it, and it isn't the world's understanding of it. 
And it's crazy to me that Christians are running around, well, I don't think we should celebrate Christmas. So you want to give up the one day of the year that we get to boldly and loudly proclaim that Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords, came to this earth because you're worried about Saturnalia. It's crazy. It's insane. Can't we just be thankful for the King of kings? And instead, we're, all, we're fighting about, well, you know, if you put candles on your tree, that's, you know, that, that's what the pagans did. Okay, that's not why I have lights on my tree. My tree's got Jesus all over it. Matter of fact, we had to get a bigger one because ours got too short for all the Jesus things on it. So it's like, look, I I get it. You have a conviction. That's fine. But don't ruin everybody else's opportunity to tell the world about Jesus. We need to back off a little bit and start loving on one another instead of complaining about somebody's 40-foot Santa in their front yard. Look, if somebody's got a 40-foot Santa, it's still an opportunity for you to tell them about Jesus. Because they're going to want to know why somebody put a 40-foot Santa in their yard. And you can actually tell them the truth. Instead, it's like, oh, the devil lives at that house. No, I doubt it very seriously. Probably somebody that saw the sale at Costco and got the 40-foot Santa. (laughs) Isn't it a pagan holiday, aren't we? You know, I have people send me these you know, 10-page emails. Well, you know, Jeremiah 10 says we shouldn't bring trees into our home. You might want to read the rest of that passage. Because it says you shouldn't bring trees in your home to carve them into idols and then worship them. Now, I don't know about you, but that actually doesn't happen very often in most Christian homes that I know of. Matter of fact, it doesn't happen in pagan heathen homes that I know of. They might have Santa. But they probably also have nativity scene. Instead, we get stuck on these little things. I, I got some shockers for you today. Jesus wasn't born on December 25th. <gasps> really? There goes my whole opportunity to have a holy day. Well, if it does, then there's something that needs to be altered in your thinking. Because no matter when Jesus was born, shouldn't we celebrate that he was born? So if we don't know exactly what day it is, does that really matter? I don't, I don't know when the first Passover was. So I consequently don't know the exact date of Easter. So I consequently don't know when I really should think about celebrating the first Passover meal, which we call communion. So you know how Paul addressed that? He said, I just treat every day alike. I worship Jesus every day. So we can kind of get back to that, but instead we worry about whether we've got the right day or not. Or, or we've got a tree, and, you know, is, is the tree going to bring some curse on my family? These are all arguments that we shouldn't be arguing about. Some people get into, a, you know, almost a badge of honor. Well, we don't have a Christmas tree. Well, if you don't have a Christmas tree, that's fine. If you don't want a Christmas tree, that's Okay. But don't mess with my Christmas tree. I love my Christmas tree. And it does nothing but tell people about Jesus. People walk into our house and go, man, that's kind of a religious tree. Oh, duh. It's about Jesus. Except for the little bass I have on the bottom that light up. Those are kind of my ode to, I like fishing. Makes me happy. Is there something wrong with being happy? Since when did the church get so unhappy? I I think we need to kind of take a step back away from this. So 1 Thessalonians 5, now I want to walk you through this. Not every day is a good day, right? I think we all can say we have good days, we have bad days, and we have in-between days. We'll just divide it into three classifications of days. A lot of my days are kind of, well... They're prickly. They're thorny. They've got a few things. But notice what the Apostle Paul is saying here. Rejoice always. Have any of you ever studied what rejoice actually means? It means to do again joy. 
The root there in the Greek language is, is the word charis or joy. And it means to do it again. So somehow we are supposed to have joy again always. That's crazy. I'm supposed to have joy again always. In other words, it implies that you had joy in the first place. I think some Christians need to tell their face that they have joy. Because evidently the message hasn't gotten through. We are to have joy. Why? Because we have a reason to be joyful. And it's a reason that not everybody in the world has. And it's a really good reason. God is good. His mercies endure forever. There's nothing in his character or nature that isn't good. And he loves me. I can kind of rejoice about that. Amen? Amen? I had joy in the first place finding out that Jesus loved me. And now I really can rejoice again. Notice it says always. Doesn't say when things are good. Doesn't say when, you know, you, you have everything that you want. It says rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Isn't it weird how we only pray for things that really kind of stimulate our heart to do that? And very often it's, it's like we pray for things we don't like. We're supposed to pray all the time. In everything, here it comes. For those of you that think we ought to give up on Thanksgiving, in everything, give thanks. And here's something you need to hear. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. In other words, if you are here as a believer today, if you've ever wanted to know what God's will is for you, here's something you can put on the absolutely God's will for your life. That you rejoice always, you pray without ceasing, and you are thankful to God all day, every day. That's God's will for you. That's to be our heart. That's to be our attitude. This whole thing of we have to argue about everything and fight. And, and I, I'm watching churches that can't do things together because they, you know, well, you know, they had Christmas trees on their stage. That's, that's nuts. The devil wins in that scenario. The devil wins in that scenario. That shouldn't be what we give into. We should be people who design in our lives every day to have a heart that is always rejoicing, that is praying without ceasing, and is thankful absolutely for, notice what it says, everything. Notice it doesn't say for good things. It doesn't say for things that make you happy. In everything. You know why? Because some of the most important things in our lives are the thorny things. The painful things. The difficult things. The hurtful things. The things that most often alter our trajectory away from the things that need to be changed. God very often uses pain. He uses difficult things to transform who we are. The truth of the matter is, thornful things should be thankful things. I'm not always thankful for thorns. Well, I thank God for roses easily. I can look at the beauty of the rose. I can no longer smell the rose because of COVID, but I can still look at the beauty of the rose. And I can thank God. I was like, Lord, that's just wonderful. But when I get stuck by the thorns on the stem, I'm kind of like, why did you allow that to happen? And instead of asking God why, we should be asking God what? God, what are you trying to teach me with the prick of that thorn? What is it that you want to embed in my heart so badly that you would allow me to be afflicted that way? It's so important to you that I need to learn a lesson from that pain point. 
You, you gave me a little prick. I can't tell you what that is for you specifically. But I can tell you, I need to do a better job of thanking God for thorns. I need to look at things from, from that perspective because in everything I am to give thanks. That's God's will for me. That's hard to do. And I want to be very careful here. That doesn't mean that your pain doesn't hurt. And that doesn't mean that the trials you're going through, the difficulties you're facing, you should just scoff at. But it does mean from God's perspective, he so loves you that he's allowed that into your life. And he's got a purpose through it. We need to learn to thank him. You know, Jesus actually modeled this for us. It's found in John chapter 19. And it's easily missed unless you're looking for it. Jesus has gone back and forth between Annas and Caiaphas. He's been tried by Herod. He's about to be put forth before the chief priests and the officers seeing him. He's about to be crucified. But here's what it says. And then Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and a purple robe. Those two things are diametrically opposite, and yet they were on the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. The crown of thorns was a sign of shame and pain. That purple robe was a kingly robe. It was his majesty. It was his royalty. And our lives are comprised of those two places. We all have our pain points. We all have our shame. We all have the things that pierce us and prick us. We all have our prickly moments. But we're children of the king. We're actually royalty. Our father owns the sheep and the cattle on a thousand hills and the gold and silver in every mind and the earth and the fullness of it is his. And we are going to live with him one day. So in that sense... We still get the crown of thorns too. We are still children of the king even when the crown of thorns is what's piercing you today. That's why the prophet Isaiah said he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for my iniquities. The chastisement upon him was for my peace. You see, he went through all of that pain for a purpose. It set me free. It changed your destiny. And so we're supposed to be thankful because Jesus counted it not robbery to become one of us. He came to this earth as a babe in a manger to live his life not as a royal person wearing that purple robe, but as a carpenter, as an itinerant preacher, only to suffer and die for our sins. He didn't ask why, save the one time when he said, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But the answer to that question was you. Me. He was beaten and bruised because of me. He bore those thorns for me. And yet I shun the thorns in my life. And yet sometimes it is those thorns that are the most wonderful things that God is doing actually at that time in my life. How many of us have grown in immeasurable compassion because of the pain that we've gone through ourselves? How many of us have gained gentleness because we used to be angry and we suffered through the anger? How many of us have learned how to love because we used to hate? Pain does that. And so as we think of these things and we look at these things that we call holidays... Why are we asking the why question instead of the what question? How do we get past that? 
How is it that we see it differently? Because it's just a tiny jump between why and what. Not why are you doing this, God? Because the answer to that one's easy. He loves me. God loves me and he allows things into my life that he knows that I need and that I would never choose for myself. I have a pastor friend that's got stage four lymphoma. You, you kind of would ask yourself, why? Why, why would you allow a, a pastor to have lymphoma? Yeah, you would think we'd kind of be like bulletproof or something. But no. That same pastor has diabetes. That same pastor had one of his eyes taken out and operated on, and while it was out, he could actually still see. Just going through all these physical things. But when you listen to him teach, oh, that's a different thing. What is the question? And so for us, how do we get to that place that we can rest and trust? Because that what question is a faith question. It's a trust question. It implies that I do have a thankful heart, that I am believing that God is good, and so there must be something he's doing that is good for me, and I want to know what it is. Let's find the answer. How do, how do we handle it? As you think about it, and you think about this passage in 1 Thessalonians, the truth is, I almost always thank God, almost always for the good things. But I rarely thank God for the thorns. And I think God is speaking to some of you about those pain points that you're experiencing right now. And for some of you, it, it may be this season that we're now in. It's like we're so attuned to, you know, you, you, you go and I'm, I'm, please understand, we shop at Costco. I'm not picking on Costco at all. But sometimes you walk in there and you, and you watch that, you know, that person that goes down the toy aisle for their kids and you know there's $75,000 worth of toys in their cart. And you're going, I don't have that kind of money and you start to feel well why isn't God blessing me and we go on and on and on and we start to look at it from the wrong perspective but we're supposed to be thankful it's God's will how can I be thankful that's my question for you right now how do I get there how do I get from the place of why to what how can I how can I praise God in that storm how, how can I thank God for the thorns, Jesus himself actually gives us some key insights on how to do this. And so as you think about the thankful things that you have right now in your life, and you think of the thorny things, let's try and merge them together. Turn to Matthew chapter 6, if you would. Probably a familiar passage to some of you. To others of you, you need to read this very carefully as we now will. Jesus actually tells us how to get from why to what. And it's found in a very simple thing. Don't hate me for the Disney reference. We need to learn how to be Hakuna Matata. No worries, believers. And there's a reason for that. Jesus himself says these things. Okay, this is part of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus' opus, magnum opus, if you would. Verse 25, Matthew 6, and therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life. Now you read that in English, I read that in English, I can put some vocal inflection into it in specific places to try and make it say one thing versus another, but the way it reads in the original language is, do not worry about your life. Don't even think about worrying about your life. Don't even ponder the opportunity that you might have to worry about your life. Worrying about your life is not something you should ever do, so don't do it. It is extremely precise. Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life. 
what you will eat, what you will drink. And about now you're going, well, that's kind of crazy. Who, you, you have to do that, don't you? No, because there's a difference between concern and worry. And we'll get to that in a moment. Jesus is literally talking about the negative emotion that drives us to a lack of faith. Worry leads you to question God's goodness. Worry causes you to turn away from the goodness of God and towards your own abilities or the world's abilities to handle things for you or something other than God. And so Jesus is literally saying, Hakuna Matata, there's no worries here. What you'll put on is not life more than food. Well, if you go to Costco right now, the answer to that may be no. It it probably is about food and about clothing. Those are the two things that you can consistently go there and you're like, whoa, food, clothing. You walk through, isn't it weird how we all go shopping at Costco and then you come to church and go, got that shirt, got that shirt, got those pants, got those shoes. You were at Costco, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Did you get the whole set? We're so concerned with these things that ultimately do not define who we are. This is what we need to hear today. It's not life more than food, the body more than clothing. (laughs) If you watch television, no. Look at the birds of the air. Now, when you think about this for a second, just to give you a little science background here, it's been estimated that in 2022, there were some 50 billion with a B birds that flew in the air on this planet. So put that in perspective. When Jesus says birds, he's talking about all of them, 50 billion of them. Because he doesn't have like, that group of birds needs to starve to death over there. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap, gather into barns. They, they don't have Costco. What are they going to do? They, there's no Petco. For, they, they can't just go in. It's like, yeah, I'd like a couple of pounds of that seed over there. Yet your heavenly father feeds them. Underline this. Are you not more valuable than they? Make no mistake, God sees human beings differently than he sees animals. By the way, that doesn't mean we mistreat animals. It doesn't mean that we should, you know, destroy our planet. It doesn't mean any of those things. But when God sees you, he sees you in the image of himself. You were created in his image. Male and female, he created them. You are more valuable than birds. But notice what Jesus says about the birds. Super important to us. Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? Hard to understand, but a cubit was the distance from the tip of your middle finger to your elbow. It's roughly 18 inches on most adult people. Well, I don't know about you, but I I won't add, not only won't add anything to my stature by worrying, I will probably slump over and be shorter. Right? Because your countenance changes. When you're not thankful, when you, when you worry about everything, when you're so concerned with these things that we can't change, it not only doesn't make you stand any taller, it makes you hunch over and be shorter. So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't toil, they don't spin. Yet I say to you that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed as one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is today, and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, will he not much more clothe you? And here it is. O you of little faith. You see, the issue is not God's character. The issue is not his provision. The issue is not his providential goodness. The issue is we don't trust him. We're not believing him for what he said. As as we draw towards Christmas, 
It's real easy to start comparing, well, you know, so-and-so, you know, I mean, he went to Jared and got her a diamond. Or is Alexis in his driveway? You know, we can start looking at things from the world's perspective and we fail to see God's perspective on it. And he's saying to us, don't do that. It'll cause you to worry. It'll cause you to not trust me. It'll make you focus on the wrong thing. And therefore, do not worry. Again, he says it very plainly. Hakuna Matata. There are no worries here. It's a Swahili phrase, by the way. And it literally means, don't worry here. What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? After all these things, the Gentiles, he's using an interchangeable term here, for an unbeliever. There were the Jewish people who knew God, because remember, he hasn't died yet, hasn't been raised yet. So it's Gentiles and Jews, that's it. That's the two classes of people. There's people who knew God and people who did not know God at that point in time. And he's saying, Gentiles, people who don't know God, they're the ones that seek after these things. They're the ones that worry. They're the ones that concern themselves. They're the ones that are running around fretting. They're the ones that don't trust God. What are you doing not trusting God? They seek after these things, for your heavenly Father knows what you have need. But seek first the kingdom of God. Here it comes. Where's your focus? Where's your priority? Our focus and our priority is supposed to be on the kingdom. And the kingdom, though we live on this earth, this is not the end for us, is it? This is a kingdom that we are passing through that one day, Scripture says, is going to cease to exist. It's going to be rolled up like a scroll. And there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. And therefore, here it comes again. Don't worry about tomorrow. Now look, you, you, you go on your news feed on your phone, you're going to have plenty to worry about. You're going to look at some of the things that are going on, and it's going to be really hard for you to say, there's no worries here. For tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. And you're probably saying right now, oh, that's completely unrealistic. And in your flesh, you're right, it is. Without God, you're right, it is. Without a relationship with Christ, you'd actually have to be pretty daft to take that position. Because all you have is you. So if you're here today and you don't know Jesus... The first step in all of this is asking Christ into your heart. Saying, Lord, I need help. But for a vast majority of us in this room, we already know Jesus. And so the Lord is speaking some things over us right now that I think we need to be reminded of. Look, there is a war going on in Israel with Hamas. There is a war going on in Ukraine with Russia. There absolutely is nuclear proliferation, North Korea, Iran. There absolutely is a monetary crisis. Interest rates are skyrocketing. There's all kinds of things that if you looked at them without God in view, oh yeah, you would worry. There is social justice issues that we need to solve. There are racial issues we still need to solve. There's a all kinds of, look, we just got told there is a global destroying meteor headed our way. Okay? I don't know about you, but we don't have any way to fight off global destroying meteors. So if you're a worrier, now's your time. <laughs> but if you believe God is who he says he is, then he's either going to bump that meteor out of our path or maybe it's time for Jesus to come get his church. Either way, we win. Right? Sometimes we forget that. We start walking around like, oh, I'm a loser. I'm just going to go over here and, you know, I'm going to go in the garden and eat some worms. You know how that old thing goes? It's like we... we 
act like that. And we're children of the king. And so Jesus is saying, stop worrying. That worrying isn't going to help. And to top it off, he gives us some really good reasons to not worry. What are they? Well, look at them. Because your life is more than food. It's more than clothes. It's a very, very minor thing that exists while we're here. Yes, you need it while you're here. But if your closet looks like most closets in America, you have enough clothes in there for several families. Right? We, we, oh, I, I, I'm always amazed. Again, God forgive me, I'm not anti-Costco. You go into Costco, and there's those stacks of pants. And they're like, oh, those are 10 bucks off. And of course, you've got to have one of those because they're 10 bucks off. Then you realize, well, I don't need any. So 10 bucks off is still $30 more than I need to spend right now. But we make up in our mind that next week they're going to be more expensive. So we better get them while they're a good price. And we convince ourselves to buy into the way the world looks at it. Jesus says, I'll take care of your needs. He doesn't say, I'll take care of your wants. So he looks at it from a completely different perspective. So we start worrying about, well, I can't, aff- I can't afford those. I-, I can't buy those right now. And the secret operative word in my sentences right now is I, 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 I. You're right. You can't. But if God wants you to have those things, he'll make a way for them to come to you. He's more than able. He can take care of everything. He, it's, it's mind-boggling. So he says, okay, look at the birds. Look at the wildflowers. And the most practical reason he gives is one that we can all relate to. Have any of you gotten taller, smarter, uh, more anything by, anything of benefit come into your life because you worried about it? The answer is no. Because worry is a negative emotion that affects you 100% of the time that way, negatively. It doesn't cause you. Concern is a different issue. Well, you know, I really probably need to concern myself with going to work today because that's the way God gives us a paycheck. That's just having the right thought process. But worry is agonizing over it. Going, wow, you know, I just need to make sure that I handle this myself. No, God's saying, you need to stop thinking that way. I am good, and I love you, and I've got you, and I'm going to take care of you. In spite of what you think, I can handle your problems. I can handle your thorns. I can handle your pain. I can handle your mortgage. I can handle your groceries. I can handle your clothes. Matter of fact, I can handle everybody's mortgage, groceries, and clothes. Okay? He's not short. You know, God doesn't, oh, man, I wish Jeff hadn't have bought that. I, you know, I'm going to overdraw my bank account today. No, it, it, it's not who he is. Whether we live or whether we die, God provides. All the time. Because he's good. So when, when you wake up in the morning, God's way ahead of you. He, he doesn't need you to go, oh, you know, what am I going to do about this? It's like, I, I know poor Greta Thornburg thinks she's saving the planet, but I'm telling you, God can handle climate change and nuclear proliferation and mortgage crisis and the hole in the ozone layer all before lunch. Easy. It's not a problem. All of these things to where we're driving ourselves crazy with worry and agonizing over things. Look, if God calls you to buy an electric vehicle, in Jesus' name, go buy one. I have no problem with it. And I'll tow you with my tundra when you're on the side of the road somewhere. (laughs) That's another story for another day. (laughs) Ah, Great. Put in, you know, LED light, all that kind of stuff. You get solar panels. 
I don't know whether you know it or not, new houses in California, you have to have them. It's great. But you're not saving the planet with them. It's not happening. Why? Because Jesus said so. Jesus said, I'm not interested in saving this planet. Should we steward it? Absolutely. But should we fret over it? Absolutely not. Should we worry so much that we're losing sleep and causing people poverty because we're doing crazy things? Heavens no, God wouldn't want that. He wants us to trust him. Do what we can. Act appropriately. Exercise prudence and wisdom. But rest in who he is. Don't worry about what you can't fix. God's heart in all of this is that we would live with a no worries attitude. Take your legitimate concerns. Look, if you don't show up for work, your boss is going to fire you. You should be concerned about getting to work. But not worried about whether he can control your life for the rest of your days. He can't do that. He doesn't have that privilege. She doesn't have that privilege. God has that privilege. He's Jehovah Jireh. Amen? So he's actually your provider. He uses them. So concern yourself with being on time and being a good employee. Doing a great job. But let God sort out all the rest of the stuff. Because you're going to shorten your life by worrying. We worry about things that basically say, God, you, you, can't, you can take care of other people, but you can't take care of me. Look, buy insurance if you need insurance. Get health insurance. You kind of almost have to have that in our day and time. But at the end of the day, you're going to leave this planet when God says so. Not one second sooner. Not one second later. It's been appointed unto man one time to die. And then heaven. So God's got that under control. All is worrying. Well, you know, I need to go get this lifted and that. Look, you can't lift it that far. (laughs) It ain't happening. You're not going to extend your life beyond the years that God's given you. Period. You can go get vitamin C IVs and take all that stuff and do whatever you want. If you think that's what God wants you to do, by all means. But I'm telling you, you're leaving when God says so. So don't worry about it. Botox is not getting you into heaven later. (laughs) Have a no worries attitude about it. It's like, look, this is the way I am. One of the beauties of getting older, you just don't care anymore. It's like, I don't care what you think about me. Look, my, my grandson plays connect the dots on my arm. He made a bear out of my age spots over here. It's awesome. But what God does care about is that we walk in faith and hope and love and joy and peace and gentleness and kindness. That when people see us, there's such a silly smile on our face in the face of adversity and of thorns that they want to know what's right with us. They see it as there's something, there's something wrong with you. How can you think that way? I mean, after all, there's a meteor coming. I'm going, yeah, and if it hits us, I'm going to heaven. Yeah, seriously. It's like, I mean, think about it. I'm really worried about the meteor. It's going to crash in. Okay, well, what exactly are you going to do? Elon Musk doesn't have a rocket powerful enough to knock it out of the way, so I think we're all kind of hosed. It's just over. If that's what happens, we're all going. But instead, we, we get all worked up. And it's not worth it. And Jesus is saying, it's not worth it. You're not going to get taller because of it. You need to rest. So when people start attacking things like Christmas, it's like, I'm just going to rest in Jesus. I'm going to tell people about the king. I'm going to enjoy the time with my family. I'm not letting people steal it. It's just not going to happen. I, I want to be a no worries, be happy kind of guy. 
Yes, the world does seem like it's tearing itself apart. There's no question if you keep your tree, you know, until the middle of January, you're probably going to get visited by the fire department. It's like that's, you know, good good way to catch your house on fire. We, we all have things about our celebrations that you look at, and eh, I can do that different next year. The, the, the new thing now is because everybody's got streaming services, everybody wants to fight over the remote. Well, I want to watch FUBU. Well, I don't know, Netflix. So what? If it's that big of a deal, turn it off. Don't worry. You know, games still are fun. I, sometimes it's weird. We all have that one person in our family, don't we, that thinks they can bake. <laughs> I see you have that person too. And they always bring their favorite dish to the Christmas celebration. And then you get a piece of it, and you, you immediately begin to see if the dog will eat it. <laughs> and they generally won't. And so you have to go out in the backyard and pretend that you're hunting for oranges or something on the tree while you're kind of scraping it off. And so, oh, yeah, that was, it was something. Not sure what it was. Could be alien. We all, we all have those things that, yeah, it's like, oh, you know, they're coming again. What are we, it's going to ruin it. No, it's not. It'll ruin it if you let it ruin it. Or you can just be happy that we have the privilege to do the things that God's allowed us to do, live where we live. Ask the people in the battle in Israel or Ukraine if they'd rather be here or there. We have a lot to be thankful for. Look, we have a guy not far from us that does have a 40-foot Santa. It goes over the top of his house. You know, I drive by it, it's... It's kind of annoying. But he loves it. So I can be happy for him. I can have joy that his kids think it's the wonderful, you know. I still see Santa, Satan. They're spelled the same. But he sees it as this is the best thing that he's ever done. Again, he got that at Costco. It's just we got to stop this worrying and start believing that God loves us. Quit fighting and start taking care of one another, blessing one another, and acting like the family that we are. Because that's actually what's going to get us through this time where we're getting pierced by thorns and going through the prickly cactus moments and We have the birth of Jesus to celebrate in 30 days. Amen. Of all people on planet earth, we should not be worrying. We should be thankful for everything, even the crazy, weird stuff that's going on in our world. If nothing else, it gives us an opportunity to pray more, right? When you see those goofy things going on, It's like, oh, man, that just should remind me to pray. So, instead of letting all this stuff just ruin our holidays, why don't we make it a way for us to really say to the Lord, give me more of a thankful heart. Help me to not worry as much. Help me to not worry at all. Help me to ask the what question instead of the why question so that we can tell the world about Jesus so that they will understand that there's something different about the way we see the world that we live in and we're not anti anyone or anything we're actually for the king and that should be the one thing that they know about us that we love Jesus and Jesus loves them and because of that we can be thankful amen Amen. would you stand and we'll close in prayer Anna's going to come back out. If you need prayer after service, I want to remind you that there'll be people in the prayer room. If you don't know the Lord, make today that day when you just say, yes, I, I want to know Jesus personally. He said, if you will believe in me, you will be saved.
It's a very simple process. This isn't some religious thing. It's a relationship thing. But you need to invite him in. Father, we thank you. Lord, I thank you for this precious congregation, this church. I pray that you would just give us hearts of thankfulness and gratefulness, that you'd cause us to not worry. We would be that light and that love in this world that the world desperately needs. God, that we'd be busy about your business, not our own. And so, Father, we thank you for your word. Help us to handle these holidays that we're now in the midst of, God, with a a way that the world would see you, Jesus, high and lifted up. And it's in your name we pray these things. Amen. Thanks for listening, and we hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions or just want to check us out, make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org. God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week.